0: everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes. I'm joined by Terry Fakes for another episode on the Christian foundations of the West, the influence of Christianity in the world that we live in today. And we are in our second book, and this book is called Dominion, which is by Tom Holland. And I actually think this is probably the book that set the chain reaction of this conversation we're we're doing in these three episodes uh, off. So Tom Holland, is uh, a very well-known historian. He has a great podcast called "The Rest Is History." He's written mostly about the ancient world. He's got a trilogy on the Roman world. But he's also written about Persia, the rise of Islam. He's very well-rounded, very brilliant, and he's a great, great writer and storyteller. So mm-hmm. to, to the extent that. We don't typically recommend, what is this book, 600 page books on uh, the the podcast, because we know most people, us included, are not going to read a 600 page book, but this is a book you can hardly put down. And mm-hmm. so whether you're listening to it on Audible or whether you're reading it, it will go very quickly because of the way that he writes the narrative. Uh, he has a, He has a great way of sneaking up and making a very profound point on you in a way that you just think you're going along with the story and you know, you're just right. by the details. And then all of a sudden you realize, well, this is really profound. So I, I want to say a little bit about the origins of this book. So 10 years ago, maybe, he, Tom Holland writes a book on the origins of Islam. And he's coming at this from a British Western historical perspective. He basically concludes in this book that... The origins of Islam, as portrayed in the Quran and according to most Muslims, are not exactly what happened. Mm-hmm. Muhammad may not really have been from where he says he was. He may not really have created the the uh, what became the Quran in the way that Muslims believe. In fact, the major conquering wave of Muslim armies at first probably wasn't Muslim. This was a, a story that was later, put back on, it was much more for geopolitical concerns. Well, as you can imagine, this did not go very well in uh, the world. And he gets a lot of pushback. He gets some death threats. You know, the Muslims especially are not happy about this. So he goes to this talk that he's giving and he's taking questions from the audience and this woman stands up and says something along the lines of, you know, why are you doing this? You know, why why would you just come and attack the foundations of our faith? You know, why, what kind of what gives you the right? And, you know, he's, he basically responded by saying, you know, he's just a historian. He's looking at this as a really interesting um, topic. But what got him was either she said something or I can't remember if he just thought this to himself. Well, why don't you do that with your own beliefs? Instead, you know, why do you have to go attack other people's beliefs? Why don't you do this to your own beliefs? Which you and I were watching the documentary that he made on this uh-huh. book um, called, I think it's called The Origins of Islam. The book is called The Shadow of the Sword and The Shadow of the Sword. And it was funny in some ways because he is pretty brutal to some of the mythology surrounding the right. origins of Islam, but it is nothing compared to what people have done to the origins of Christianity. I mean, nothing compared to what you can read about criticism in the Old Testament, New Testament, who existed, who didn't. I mean, the level of scrutiny that has been placed on um, Christianity, the Bible, what the Bible talks about, is unbelievable compared to what other religions have have undergone. And so you listen to him talk about the origins of Islam. It sounds exactly like when liberal scholars who are all over the History Channel talk about... Uh, the origins of Christianity. And I think Christianity's held up pretty well. But it belies the point that you can do this to Christianity. In fact, people do this to Christianity all the time. It is, you know, you can you can write things about why Christianity isn't true in the predominantly Christian West. The moment you do this to something like Islam, it's a whole different ballgame. If you were to do this in China, whole different ballgame. You're not going right. to do that and survive for very long. So that creates the interesting question. And Tom Holland starts to think about, you know, well, why don't I examine my own beliefs? There is clearly some difference here. And I have things that I hold to. He's not a particularly religious guy, but he believes in things like kind of classic liberal Western values due process of law, right. the equality of all people, freedoms, rights, progress, science, et cetera. Well, mm-hmm. he, he starts to research this and he realizes as he's researching this, I. Am a Christian? Now he had been a Christian as a kid. He had grown right. up in a family that went to church, but he had kind of lost his faith, and you know, would consider himself a secular person. Maybe not an atheist, but just right. you know, just kind of an agnostic, a soft uh-huh. uh, a take on religion, not really uh, knowing, but not really endorsing anything specifically. But as he does more research, he realizes because I live in the West, because I believe these things. All of these things came from Christianity. In that sense, I am really a Christian. And the book Dominion is the book that comes out of this quest to examine the foundations of what he believes. And the subtitle of Dominion is How the Christian Revolution Remade the World. How did the world that we live in today, how was it influenced by, shaped by, formed by Christianity? And the whole book is a long explanation of Christianity is the water that we swim in. It is the major dominant shaper, not the only one, but the major dominant shaper of the world we live in today. And uh, because of that, it is a fascinating book. I think the backstory just adds to it. Uh, He comes by this kind of honestly. There's not an axe to grind here. This isn't a quote-unquote Christian book written by an evangelical. It's a Christian book as in he discovered how pervasive Christianity is in all of culture,
1: even in his own worldview. Exactly. And, you know, I think you and I have picked out two ideas, not all the ideas in this book, but two ideas to discuss. And the first one goes back to the very beginning of this Christianity remaking the world, and that is the founding, if you will, of Christianity. And he has some very interesting and uh, observations about the resurrection which of course we would we as christians would say that is the foundational the bible would say that is the foundational event of christianity is the resurrection of jesus christ and the validation of all of his claims but he uh looks at that and talks about and this is something we don't think about very much how radical that was and the implications of that resurrection and the ideas that came out of it but one of the ideas I'll tee up for you, uh, and I'd completely agree with this, it was not a strange idea to people in the time of Jesus that a person might become divine. That was not a strange idea. The Romans had already deified Augustus Caesar. Uh, in other words, they've said that these men became gods. When they died. So the fact that Christians said Jesus Christ was resurrected from the dead and he is divine, they would have said, okay, I've heard that story before. That doesn't shock me. But what would shock them, Cole, was the fact that he had been crucified. Like, wait a minute, you become divine by being powerful. You don't come divine by having something grotesque happening to you. And I thought that was a good... It's not something we didn't know, but I thought that observation was really foundational. hmm I think part of the thing is Tom Holland is uniquely situated to write
0: this kind of book and to make the kind of point that you're mentioning because he is so steeped in the ancient world. To to many people that aren't as, as uh, knowledgeable and as steeped in the literature as he is, We don't see the radical difference between the ancient Greco-Roman world and their values and the Christian world and their values because Christians, when they're ascendant in the Roman Empire, do take some of the similarities from the Greco-Roman world and bring it into the Christian faith. So this happens with Stoicism. This happens with Aristotle. And so we tend to think that they're pretty continuous, but they're not. See, here's the thing. Like you mentioned, the most popular and growing. This is anachronistic to say it this way, but religion in the empire at the time was not Stoicism. It was emperor worship. It was the emperor cult of Augustus. Right. So you have this God who has triumphed over all and Augustus now is worshiped. Well, in the Roman world, you became a God, like you said, by conquering, by being strong, by victory, by imposing your will. And what the Romans were all about was showing their might and their power to anybody who would challenge it. And so if you were a provincial governor like Pilate in uh, Judea, when people challenged the emperor, you could do several things. You could could throw them to wild beasts. You could light them on fire. You could crucify them. But Rome reserved the right for capital punishment. And the worst of these is, is crucifixion. The crucifixion is the death of slaves. It is uh, brutal. It is also shameful. It is also something that, in their day, they wouldn't even have talked about. you wouldn't you wouldn't even want to bring this up in in polite company. So the unique thing is you have this preacher, this messianic figure, Jesus, mm-hmm. who runs up against the power of the state of Rome. He is tortured. He's hung on a cross like a slave. He is shamed to all, and Rome triumphs over him. And unlike all the other people who were crucified, because this happened a lot, who basically died in obscurity and shame and just went again to prove you don't mess with Rome, Mm -hmm. he's deified. So the slave, the shamed, bankrupt, Guy from this obscure corner of the Roman Empire becomes, to his followers, the king of all. And 300 years later, when Constantine uh, becomes a Christian and and Christianity is no longer outlawed in the, the Roman Empire, it becomes the dominant religion for the rest of history. So, how did that happen? That's the weird thing. Is How did that happen? This this totally goes against what they thought was virtuous and honorable and powerful. And yet it sparked a revolution that uprooted the entire worldview of the ancient world, threw off paganism, threw off emperor worship, all of that in just a brief 200 years, 300 years. And now is the dominant and ascendant uh, religion and religious framework of the
1: West. And probably the enduring idea, if you just step back and look at the underlying idea, is this was scandalous to the ancient world. And yet this, what I'm going to call a readjusting of the power dynamic in society, is that uh, a successful emperor could be deified, a guy crucified. Well, that's absurd. And yet you get Anselm in uh, the Church Father, who is fundamentally emphasizing Not Christus victor, not the victory of Christ, but the suffering of Christ, and that is what made Christ worthy. I mean, that whole idea is a completely turning upside down the power dynamic to the point where the cross becomes a symbol, and we wear crosses today, and we think of it, maybe we even think of it in a triumphalist kind of way, but the cross is a symbol of shame. When Paul talks about the stumbling block of the cross, he's talking about many things, but at the most basic, he's basically saying is you're you're trying to get people to embrace something that was a grotesque act and saying, no, this was actually very good. It completely upset the world. And today you have ideas that we swim in, the rooting for the underdog, uh, the idea of you can succeed through suffering and come out greater on the other side. We don't realize that those ideas were not around Mm -hmm. before this event happened. And so I think Tom Holland does a great job of putting his finger on something really transformational, an idea coming from the resurrection that still resonates today.
0: Yeah, it it gives rise to a lot of things that we take for granted about our world that were not true. I mean, if you think about... Christians were the ones that stemmed infanticide. They were the ones that believed these babies who are left uh, basically to exposure to die, they are made in the image of God. They should be protected. Uh, People who are suffering from sickness, they deserve to be cared for. And if we get sick and die because of that, it's worth doing. Um, So you have hospitals, you have education. You have eventually science because we're exploring God's world. He there, There's a great part of this in the chapter on charity where he t- he talks about the contrast between the ancient Greco-Roman values and Christian values and just how different they are. And this is going to sound very familiar to people who live in the West today because a lot of the arguments that are being made in the West, even those against what we'd consider Christian causes, are made for Christian reasons, which is one of the the right. big points that we're going to get to and talk about. but. He says the heroes of the Iliad, favorites of the gods, golden and predatory, had scorned the weak and downtrodden. So too, for all the honor that Julian paid them had philosophers. The starving deserved no sympathy. Beggars were best rounded up and deported. Pity risked undermining a wise man's self-control. To the young emperor, sincere though he was in his hatred of Galilean teachings and in regretting their impact on all that he held most dear, He was blind to the irony that his plan of combating them was itself irredeemably Christian. So you have this guy who is saying, you know, I'm against these kind of institutional Christian teachings and um, groups, but is doing it out of a regard for charity, for the people who don't have much, they need help, they're downtrodden, they're oppressed, standing up for those people even against quote-unquote Christians, Christianity, is a very Christian thing to do. So to put it in other words, the reason that we love underdog stories is because of the ultimate underdog on the cross who was tortured to death by the Roman Empire, killed, rose from the dead. We celebrate that, and now all victims have an inherent dignity, or the oppressed have an inherent dignity. So this also comes from the Hebrew Bible. That would be, if if there's one maybe uh, shortcoming of this book, it's that it doesn't incorporate enough of the continuity between the Old Testament, the the Israelites, into the New Testament. But that's there, right? Taking care of the widow and the orphan is there in the Old Testament. But man, it is magnified when Jesus is crucified and rises from the dead because now, like you said, there's value in suffering in and of itself because you are like Jesus. Right? We tend right. to think of suffering as having value because it produces perseverance or you know, it brings about something that's the greater good. But actually, many Christians, even early martyrs, they, considering suffer, they consider suffering to be uh, a worthwhile thing just because it puts you in a similar situation that Christ was in. That right. is a radical turnabout from what people believed in the ancient world only because of Jesus Christ. So, so that would lead you to things like examining why do we think that oppressed people groups and underrepresented groups and um, historically maligned groups of people deserve our sympathy and our uh, favorable treatment, and even those who are making argue, arguments like reparations, you know, which right. most Christians are not making those arguments. That's, that's much more right now, much more of a progressive thing to right. argue for. But what Holland is going to point out is you can't make that argument without Christianity. You right. might not be Christian, but you the, the premises that you need to believe to make that kind of argument are distinctly Christian.
1: Right. Which kind of leads me to a turning point for me in the book was when he's going to make this contention that, is going to be kind of true in all of the books we're looking at. He says to live in a Western country is to live in a society still completely saturated by Christian concepts and assumptions. But then he personalizes it a few pages later, and he talks about what you alluded to, that he grew up Christian. But during his teenage years, his belief in God faded and he got interested in history and interested in other things. And he, he basically just drifts away from Christianity. He becomes agnostic or again, not atheist, but he's certainly not what you and I would consider Christian. But he says this, Cole, he says that my belief in God had faded over the course of my teenage years did not mean that I had ceased to be a Christian. What does he mean by that? Because you and I would not say he's a Christian in the sense that we understand that word religiously. What does he mean by that? Well, he certainly doesn't mean, and it's been interesting to see Christians interview
0: him and say, you know, what do you believe about all this? And he's kind of, well, you know, some days I I, I do believe this, that Jesus was raised from the dead. And some days I think, no, no, you know, he's, a, he's on a journey of faith. He started going back to church. Uh, so there, the door is open there. But from, from our perspective, if we're defining things as do you or do you not repent of your sins and put your trust in Christ and believe in him for your salvation, the answer, at least up until recently, if we know or not, was no. no. But what he does mean is all the things that Christians believe, all the pillars of the Christian worldview, I believe those things. Right. I, I am thoroughly informed and educated and my views of the world are founded, my instincts, especially my ethical moral instincts, are based on Christian truth. And so in that sense, what he says at the end of the book is really fascinating on the last page of the book, he says, um, many Christians over the course of time have be- have themselves become agents of terror, right? This is the interesting kind of turnabout of well, Christians haven't always lived up to their right. Uh, ideals. They've put the weak in their shadow. They have brought suffering and persecution and slavery in their wake. Yet the standards by which they stand condemned for this are themselves Christian. Right. So so right. so to back to connect to Tom Holland's story, he he kind of realizes even the reasons I maybe am not a Christian are Christian reasons. You know, I'm so right. thoroughly informed by that that I am Christian in that sense. So nor even if churches across the West continue to empty, does it seem likely that these standards will quickly change? This is Tom's own story. Mm -hmm. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That's a quote from first Corinthians, right? This is the myth that we in the West still persist in clinging to Christendom. In that sense remains Christendom still. So that I think that perfectly encapsulates even the, the spiritual trajectory that he was on. Yes he wasn't going to church. Yes, he might not believe in a way that we would say, oh, you're an evangelical, you're a Christian, you know, personally. Yes. Well, the foundations haven't changed. You know, the the core beliefs, whether they just be ethical or about the way the world is supposed to be, have stayed intact. And so maybe we could say Christendom as opposed to individual Christian, but however you want to slice it, that framework, that worldview is still there. And, and that process of discovery in his own life, and then what he sketches out in the book, certainly makes that appear to be true in our world today. Even though we would say that religion is waning, you know, Christianity is waning, belief is waning, people are leaving the faith, they're not leaving Christendom, you know, would kind of be the right. point that he's making. I think that's a fascinating point. I think it's right. Uh I I think maybe we would want to parse some terms a little bit differently. Uh, right. In terms of we we do want people to actually convert to Christianity, and not just have this kind of subliminal Christian foundation for their views. But but with that aside, the point holds. You know, the reason right. that we have even social justice is probably the easiest way to see this. And we'll talk about this more when we talk about Glenn Scrivener's book. Something like George Floyd's death, which was hugely divisive for America, Christians, non-Christians sometimes on both sides of this issue, arguing with each other. They're all arguing in some ways. I mean, there's some people that probably weren't, but but, but most people are arguing in some ways based on the very same premises. You know, an innocent victim dies, an uncaring state killed him. This is the gospel story. We care about people like George Floyd because of the gospel story. People arguing things like he actually wasn't innocent, he uh, was a troublemaker. The people that you know were involved in his death deserve due process. You know we have the rule of law. These riots, you know, are inappropriate responses to this. Those people are arguing from Christian premises. You know, so there's a point in uh, Scrivener's book he he alludes to this article where the guy says these people are essentially throwing on both sides are throwing Bible verses back and forth at each other, but they've right. forgotten the references. It, you know, they've forgotten the verses. Point. And and, and that's what Holland is so good at pointing out is, yes, even some of these squabbles that we would say have nothing to do with Christianity per se,
1: have everything to do with Christianity because you couldn't have these arguments without it. Yes. And to take that a little further, one of the things that I really liked in his book, and he uses this example, but I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. So look at someone who is against abortion and they would say, I'm against abortion because of the sanctity of human life, that God is completely opposed to killing an unborn child. Now look at the person who's in favor of abortion. They're making the argument based on, well, I think that a woman has autonomy over her own body. He's gonna say that both of those are actually Christian ideas and that this dispute is not a Christian versus a non-Christian idea but it's applying it differently. And I thought about that a lot. And uh, in terms of, do I agree with that or do I not? And then I thought of this thought, suppose you take this person who's against abortion and the one who is in favor of abortion and you take them to North Korea, they would both be completely appalled and opposed to the regime in North Korea for the same reasons. Mm-hmm. They would share a, quote, Western, and Holland's going to say, a Christian-infused revulsion of North Korea. Even the person who is pro-abortion saying a woman has autonomy over her own body, you could answer and say, says who? That's not true in China. That's not true in Saudi Arabia. That's not true in, why do you even say that? And Holland's point is going to be, You only say that because it's rooted in a Christian idea. And so I'm not sure exactly how I think about that, if I could go as far as he did, but that is a very powerful point, that both sides are trying to tap into a Christian idea, perhaps misapplying it, but that uh, when you take them out of the Western context, you quickly realize they're arguing from the same Christian premises. Right. Right. Yeah there's a, there's a really
0: interesting uh, debate between Tom Holland and AC Grayling who is a atheist philosopher notable British public intellectual and there's two moments from that debate that I think are really fascinating in discussing this book. The first one is he they get going kind of back and forth and and Grayling comments that that Tom Holland is defending Christianity to which Holland says he, he actually isn't defending Christian. That's one of the things you have to know about this book is I wouldn't want to represent this book as in, this is an apologetic for Christianity. But what what Holland comes back at him with is, I'm not saying that these things are true necessarily, as much as I'm saying that the values we use to to evaluate things as good and yes. evil as right and wrong are distinctly Christian categories to use. Uh, which I, so that's so I think that's an important thing to say is he's basically saying this just is right historically this is we use a lens that is a Christian lens to view the world regardless of whether it's true or even regardless of whether it's good this is just the way things are this is this is the world we live in but the most interesting part of the debate I thought was Grayling at one point at the very end says you know, I I would love to know, and he says, I've racked my brain to to see if I could think of something that is a unique deliverance of Christianity to the world. He says, and I can't think of anything that doesn't have some precedent somewhere else, you know, or would Mm -hmm. have been thought of without Christianity. And Tom Holland really comes to life here in this debate. He says immediately, he answers, lifelong matrimony, heterosexuality and homosexuality was kind of an interesting thing. You wouldn't necessarily expect him to say that, but um, secularism, exclusivity, the concept of science, the idea that human beings are created in the image of God, and the degree of dignity given to human beings is unlike any other culture. And you could tell Grayling was just not ready for this rapid right. fire list. But yeah, then Colin off. goes on and he really presses the point. He says, what makes Western civilization distinctive is its assumption that its values are universal. This is fundamental to how Christians have understood their faith, that it is for all of humanity, kind of regardless of where you're born. It's an evangelical faith. You can become a Christian as opposed to many other things. You have to be born into it, or it's culturally tied or you Uh practice it. It's not belief driven. It's practice driven. But he says to this day, The heirs of that tradition want to believe that their beliefs are not culturally contingent, but are somehow the property of all humanity. So he turns it right back around on Grayling and says, here (laughs) you sit in the Christian West, arguing that Christianity has never brought anything distinct to the world. Like that's some self-evident universal belief. And yet the only people who have a belief system that could produce a belief like that Or the Christians. Or the Christians, yeah. You know, it's a brilliant point. It's it's, it's really a point of cultural observation, which is we are so saturated by some of these Christian tenets that we can argue against them using them and not even see the circularity of that point.
1: Right. And that's why he can say at the end of the book is that all Western civilization is in thrall to Christian morality. Now, again, he's not a Christian in a religious sense, like we would understand, but that's an interesting statement. He's going to say that for that reason that you just said, all Western civilization is still enthralled to Christian morality, Christian ideals. And that is a very compelling argument that he makes.
0: hmm The whole book is that way. It's a fantastic book. Uh, it's really a great read. Of course, the interviews with with Tom Holland on this topic are really good, too. In fact, Glenn Scrivener has a great interview with Tom Holland, and uh, it's his book that we'll turn our attention to next week, The Air We Breathe. But whether you read the book or listen to one of the interviews, this point, I think, has given rise to a whole movement, and it's worth paying attention to and studying and thinking about as Christians uh, to know what kind of world do we live in and what impact has Christianity made on it.